Take your Bible with me this morning, if you will, and open to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, down through verse 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having gird, uh, girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Wilbur McLean was a 46 year old retired Virginia militia officer when the Civil War erupted. McLean and his wife ran a wholesale and a retail grocery business as well as a small plantation near Manassas Junction, Virginia. Uh, there was a small meandering creek that ran through some of that property where he lived called Bull Run, a creek you probably have heard of. It was at Bull Run in McLean's backyard that the first major battle against the Union and Confederate forces occurred. After the battle, Confederate General Beauregard took over McLean's house and barn as headquarters and as a hospital. McLean wanted no part of what was about to take place, though he was a Southern sympathizer. Consequently, he moved his family 120 miles southwest to a quiet little place known as Appomattox Courthouse, Appomattox Courthouse on the other side of Virginia. Just a few years after moving, the war knocked on the door of Wilmer McLean's house again. One of the last battles of the Civil War was fought near McLean's home. It was in McLean's house that General Robert E. Lee of the Confederate Army and General Ulysses S. Grant of the Union Army met and discussed terms of surrender for the South. In other words, McLean's home became a pair of bookends if you will, to the Civil War. Despite his best efforts to escape war, he couldn't. It found him wherever he went. The war for him was an unavoidable reality. Today I want to speak to all of you dads and I want to speak about warrior dads because I want you to know that the war for your, your heart, your soul, your children's hearts and souls and your wife's heart and soul. There is a spiritual war that's being waged every single day. It's a battle that if you think you can escape it, you might for a little bit, but you won't for long. It will come in your direction. And Satan is aiming to take down anything that God says is good. And Satan is seeking to destroy everything that has the name of God 
attached to it. As you think with me today about these warrior dads, which is what I'm calling all of you dads to be, warrior dads, first of all, warrior dads need enlightenment. They need enlightenment. In this text that I read to you a few minutes ago, it talks about the wiles of the devil. You obviously know if you see the spelling of that word wiles, you know that he's talking about something that's very specific. The, the Greek word is methodeia, and you get our word method from that word. It's a word that would be used about a wild animal who uses cunning to stalk and then unexpectedly pounce on his prey. Um, if you're like me, I have watched a, a number of the National Geographic programs. There's not much on TV to watch except for those kinds of programs, right? So I've watched a, a number of those National Geographic programs over the years, and you, you probably have seen at times a tiger or a lion in the wild that was being filmed as it was stalking its prey and how it sought with stealth, uh, with deception, with quietness to slip on, on the prey and then to take the prey down and have it as a meal. That's the picture that God is drawing for us in Ephesians chapter 6 when he talks about the wiles of the devil. And warrior dads need enlightenment as to the enemy's strategy. His strategy is to slip up on us. His strategy is to use stealth and deception. His strategy is to find the weak spot and to take you down. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Not for one moment of one day is Satan not looking to destroy anything that brings glory to the Almighty God. He's working overtime and all the time to bring that destruction. Satan is a master theologian who knows the scripture better than most of us and is able to twist it so that you don't even realize at times that he's twisting it. He's a PhD educator that knows how to reorient students' minds around the secular and the atheistic ideals. He's a beloved philosopher from whom every godless ideal and value originates. He's a master musician who knows how to infiltrate the mind through catchy tunes and entertainment that dulls our minds. He's an anthropologist that intricately knows human nature, and he knows the weakness of all of us. We have to recognize that we need enlightenment, first of all, as to the enemy's strategy. His strategy is deceptive. His strategy is stealth. His strategy is to find you at the weakest place and to take you down when you're not thinking or you're not paying close attention. They not only need enlightenment as to the enemy's strategy, they need enlightenment as to the enemy's sophistication. If you look back at verse 12 and notice what he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I don't know if you recognize what he's saying, but I want to make sure you understand 
One of my favorite uh, preachers to listen to and an author that I read sometimes is Dr. Tony Evans. He's an African-American pastor in Dallas, Texas. has a ministry called The Urban Alternative, uh, incredible man of God. But he writes about spiritual warfare, and he says this, spiritual warfare is the cosmic conflict waged in the invisible realm, but is simultaneously fleshed out in the visible. It's waged in the invisible realm, but is simultaneously fleshed out in the visible realm. He says, if all you see is what you see, you will never see all that there is to be seen. There is behind what we are looking at physically with our eyes, a spiritual world, a spiritual realm, a spiritual realm that is filled with organization and coordination and sophistication. Trust me when I tell you that. Organization and coordination and sophistication. That's why we have to have warrior dads. We have to have dads who understand, dads who are enlightened, uh, dads who are enlightened as to the enemy's strategy and as to the enemy's sophistication. He talks about it in verse 12. We don't wrestle against, uh, we don't wrestle against, or we wrestle against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this age against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. And what you're looking at is the coordination and the sophistication and the organization of a demonic realm that you can't see with your physical eyes, but which gets worked out in the presence of our physical eyes every single day. During Operation Desert Storm, the Iraqi war machine was overwhelmed by the coalition forces' ability to strike strategic targets with a never-seen-before accuracy. Unknown to the Iraqis, the Allied Supreme Command had dropped special operations forces deep behind enemy lines. These forces provided bombing coordinates for military targets and first-hand reports on the effectiveness of, of, of subsequent bombing missions. To avoid hitting unintended targets, Pinpointing, uh, pinpoint bombing was often required. A soldier from the special ops unit uh, standing on the ground would request an aircraft to drop a laser-guided missile. Using a handheld laser, the soldier would point at the target until the bomb hit at that exact spot. When I think about our military and I think about the sophistication and the coordination and the organization of our military that they can drop somebody behind enemy lines and they can use a laser and bring a bomb from a great distance away and hit a target at a specific spot, minimizing the death and destruction around it. If you think the Army is sophisticated, I've got news for you. In the satanic realm, he is far more sophisticated. He is far more coordinated. And he is far more, uh, he's far more organized in what he's doing. We need enlightenment. We need enlightenment as to the, the enemy's strategy. We need enlightenment as to the enemy's sophistication. And we need enlightenment, thirdly, as to the enemy's strength. 
I don't know if you really realize it or not because a lot of people just discount the demonic world. They just discount the things that are dealt with in the spiritual realm as if maybe they don't even exist, but they do exist. And the fact of the matter is our enemy has great power. He's not omnipotent. Only God is omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at the same time, and it's the reason why he so desperately needs and has this organization and this coordination and this sophistication. He can't be everywhere at the same time. He doesn't know all things, and he doesn't have all power, but he is more powerful than any one of us in and of ourselves. But having said that, let me remind you that God always places boundaries on what Satan is allowed to do. I think one of the stories that best illustrates what I'm telling you about is the story of Job. And Job says, he's serving you. God says about Job, or excuse me, Satan says about Job, he's serving you only because you do good things for him and you take care of him. And God said, okay, I'll let you touch his family. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would be like to get one report that all ten of your children are dead in a moment of time? What would you want to do? What would be your mindset at that moment? How bitter would you become? But he said you cannot touch Job's life. He said you can touch his wealth and In a moment, all of the things that were considered wealth of that day were taken away from Job, and he was stripped of it all. But he said, you cannot touch Job. You cannot take his life. He said, you you can take his health, if you will. And he sits in the ashes, scraping the sores on his skin because he's been inflicted with the illness of the evil one. But he said, you cannot take his life. My point is that the enemy that we face today, that where we need to understand warrior dads, we need to understand he is powerful, but he's not all powerful. And there is a God in heaven who is greater than him. Secondly, warrior dads not only need enlightenment, warrior dads need empowerment. They need empowerment. I want you to look back at verse 10 for just a moment. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong. Notice the word. Be strong in the Lord and in the power. Notice the word. The power of his might. Notice the word. Three different words in the Greek text. Strong, power, and might. It's interesting to note that if you were to turn back to chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, you would find all three of those same words used in reference to the resurrection of of Jesus Christ. In other words, there is an empowerment available to us who are the children of God that is greater than the power of Satan himself. And that's the power that comes. It's the same power that raised up Jesus, and it's the power that lives in us through the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. There's an old story that's told by author Edwin Lutzer you don't know that name, he was the pastor for, I don't know, 20 or 25 years at Moody Memorial Church in Chicago. 
very prolific author, still a conference speaker. But he tells a story about the power that's available to us by telling us about a painting entitled Checkmate. On one side of the chessboard is Satan with a sly grin and face full of laughter. His hand is poised and ready to make his next move. On the other side sits a very frustrated young man with his hand on his forehead, sweating, a sweat dripping as he agonizes in thought about his next move. It appears that the game is drawing to a close and the winner is predetermined by the look on the young man's face. One day a group, Dr. Lutzer says, was touring the art gallery and stopped at the painting and listened to the art curator that set the stage for the great drama that was depicted in that painting. As the group finally moved on to the next exhibit, one man who was a chess champion stayed behind to study the painting. He was drawn into the work of art, not because of the chessboard, but because of the sorrow he felt for the young man. After studying the painting for a few minutes, he asked someone at the gallery for a chessboard and small table. He arranged the chess pieces just like they were in the painting. He then made a move for the young man and then made the only corresponding counter move the devil could have made to keep himself out of check. He then made another move and countered it again, knowing it was the only move available. After a few more moves, he looked at Satan in the painting and cried out, Checkmate! And then he looked at the young man in the painting. He said, young man, your enemy miscalculated a very important move. I uncovered it. And as a result, you don't have to lose. Instead, you win. Can I just tell you that the resurrection power is the ultimate power move that brings to us the enablement to meet the enemy that comes against us and to thwart his attempts to destroy us. Aren't you thankful for the resurrection of Jesus? Aren't you thankful that he went to the cross and he died for your sins and he was buried and he rose again? It is by the power of the resurrection that he's declared to be the Son of God, and it is because of his resurrection that we, per, we, we possess a, a power, an enablement, an empowerment that enables us to meet our enemy and our foe and to subvert his tactics. Thirdly, warrior deads not only need enlightenment and not only need empowerment, warrior deads need equipment. They need equipment. You read through this a few moments ago, but let me just take you back to it. In verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God. You're not supposed to leave any pieces of it off. We all have done so at times. But then he goes down and he talks about those different pieces. And only one of the pieces that I, do I want to focus on for, for a little while today. He says, verse 14, stand therefore having gird your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, take the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And, and the one I want to talk about is take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then he goes on to talk about 
how you tap into the power of God is through prayer. Dads, I hope you'll take time to read through those different pieces of the armor that God gives to us to be able to meet the enemy and to be able to turn him away and to be able to resist his attacks. But I want to spend my time for a few moments just telling you about this one specific one, dads, the helmet of salvation. I want you to know, warrior dads, that you need to know that you know that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You need to know that you know that you know that you're right with God and that you're ready to meet God. There is nothing more painful for a pastor to have to do than to stand with a family burying a loved one who left them no hope about where they would be in eternity and only the reality that they would be separated from God forever. Dads, you say you love your families. You say you love your wife. You say you love your children. You say you love your parents. You say you love your, the things you're doing in this life. There is nothing more that you can do for your family that's greater for your family. Not a roof over their head, not clothes on their backs not shoes on their feet, not food in their belly, not opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. There is nothing that's more important that you can leave for your children. That when they look at you in the casket, they can say, I know where my dad is today. He was saved. He was born again. He was a child of the living God, and he lived it out. He wasn't perfect But he lived it out every single day of his life. I know my dad is with Jesus. Dads, there is nothing else you can leave your children that's more important than that memory that you know Jesus Christ. You know, there used to be, I don't know if it's still true for the military these days, but there used to be a habit that when you were going into a very difficult battle that you would write a a letter to your family and that you would leave it, I suppose, with someone or somewhere so that if you were killed in battle, it would be the last letter that you would write that would have have been written to your family and they would receive it. On September the 11th, 1918, Sergeant David Kerr, a Columbia University student who had dropped out of college to fight in World War I, sent a letter to his mother the day before an attack in France in which he was involved. Kerr wanted his mother, his sister Elizabeth, and his fiancée Mary to keep their spirits up no matter the outcome. He wrote, Tomorrow, the first totally American drive commences, and it gives me inexpressible joy and pride to know that I shall be present to do my share. Should I go under, therefore, I want you to know that I went without any terror of death and that my chief worry is the grief my death will bring to those so dear to me. Since having found myself in Mary, there has been much to make my life sweet and glorious, but death, while distasteful, is in no way terrible. 
I feel wonderfully strong to do my share well. And for my sake, you must try to drown your sorrow in, in the pride and, and satisfaction, the knowledge that I died well in so clean a cause as is ours. He says, remember how proud I have always been of your superb pluck. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> I suppose it's some dish that his mother made for him. Some of you way smarter than me can tell me. Keep Elizabeth's future in mind and don't permit my death to bow your head. My personal belongings will all be sent to you. Your good taste will tell you which to send to Mary. May God bless and keep you, dear heart, and be kind to little Elizabeth and those others I love so well. Signed, David. The Americans broke through the German lines in a three-day offensive, but they suffered the deaths of 7,000 casualties. And 21, our 20-year-old David Kerr was among those that was killed. What will be written that will be left behind for your children, for them to remember you, to be able to say amongst all the things that I know about my dad, what will be left behind that gives them hope of being with you again one day and celebrating all of eternity in the presence of the Almighty, Almighty God, never to be separated again. Dads, are you saved? Dads, do you know Jesus Christ? Dads, do you know that you know that you know that if at this moment your heart stopped beating, you would awaken on the other side in the presence of the Almighty God, given entrance because you have received and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me, dads. When this service ends in just a few minutes, if you don't know that you know that you know, there will be pastors in that back lobby on the left-hand side where it says, Welcome. They'll be standing there with a lanyard on. And you go by and you tell them, I need to talk to you this week. I need to get this settled. Warrior dads need enlightenment. Warrior dads need empowerment. Warrior dads need equipment. Most importantly, the knowledge that they're truly the children of the living God. But then may I say, warrior dads need encouragement. Warrior dads need encouragement. You look back at Ephesians for just a moment, you'll notice, first of all, this encouragement is about the posture of a dad's stand. In verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, and here's the posture, stand against the wiles of the devil. Stand against, it's a military term that's used to speak of holding a critical position. You don't have to go looking for a battle with the devil. The devil will bring it to you. And you have to stand against it. They need encouragement not only as to the posture of their stand, they need encouragement as to the period of time when dads are supposed to be standing. And when you look at it, it's verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. If the days of Ephesus were evil, how evil is the day in which we live? 
By the way, the sin in the first century is no different than the sin in the 21st century. It's just more available and more prevalent and more accessible. And the period of your stand is in the evil day. That means, Dad, you're to be a warrior, Dad, till you meet Jesus face to face. And you fight for your children and you fight for your families until you meet Jesus face to face. And they need encouragement as to the permanence of their stand. To the permanence of the stand. He comes to the end of verse 13. He says to withstand, stand against in the evil day. And having done all, you've done everything, done all, what do you do? You're to permanently stand there, and you're not supposed to move. Now, please don't misunderstand me, ladies. I never want to get between a mother and her children when that mother's upset. A mother bear can maul you big time. But there's just something about a dad being a man of God and being a warrior dad. And standing before his family and leading his family as God tells us to lead our families. There's just something different about it. Many years ago, when our kids were very young, we'd only been here maybe eight or nine years, maybe ten years. Something was happening at the house. I have no idea what it was. The kids were at war with each other. And I came home, walked in the front door of our house, and the kids were standing at the door. That never, that never happens. They're standing at the door. And uh, I said, where's your mother? And they said, she's laying across the bed, crying in the bedroom. And I said, why? She told us to do something, and we got into a fight and didn't do it, and I don't remember all the explanation they gave to me, and I said, go do that now. I went back to the bedroom, and I tried to console my wife, and I told her they've done it. And then I did the most unforgivable thing a man can ever do. I said, honey, all you had to do is say it with authority, and they would have done it. That's okay. We're getting used to being hated. <laughs> of course, I had to apologize for such a comment. But there is something about a dad's voice that is different than a mama's voice. And sometimes it's because mama is with the kids a whole lot more than dad is. And when dad walks in, he's only there not as frequently, and sometimes his voice carries an authority that the familiarity of mama's voice has faded. The permanence of their stand. Dads, what do you do? You stand. You just keep standing. You be the man of your family. Man up. Be the man of your family. Stand there before your family and your kids, and you lead them, and you show them the right way, and you teach them the truth. And you show them the depth of your love for Jesus Christ. Robert Jeffries is a pastor that 
is a contemporary pastor of our day and he's pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. And I listened to him on uh, Sirius Radio, XM Radio, uh, some of his messages. But he's writing about this spiritual realm that I'm talking about. And this is what he says. There's another world that is beyond human comprehension. This other world is as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. This other world is the spirit world. It is the realm where, where God, Satan, angels, and demons reside. And whether you realize it or not, it is the reality that is responsible for most of the things we experience in everyday life. Although this world is invisible and immeasurable, it is in truth more real and more permanent than the visible world in which we exist. He continues, as one philosopher wrote, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience, but we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And every day, dads, we have to get up and put on the armor of God, and we have to stand before our families, and we have to lead them in the ways of God. I want to stop here before I finish, and I want to say to those of you that might have failed, well, you're in the same boat with the rest of us. We've all failed at times. There's none of us that are perfect. I don't know if you know it or not, but you're looking at a pretty imperfect man. Please don't go asking questions about that. <laughs> but I'm looking at a group of men that are imperfect as well. And I've got good news for you, men. God is a God of forgiveness. And God is a God of grace. And God is a God of mercy. And the church is a place of redemption. A church is a place of rescue. A church is a place to find the broken and to help them put their lives back together. That's what we do. Dads, have you failed? God will forgive. And God will cleanse. And God will put you back on the path and you'll fail somewhere else down the line, and you'll have to ask God to forgive you and get back up again and get moving on the path. But dads, until you get to heaven, you don't stop being a warrior dad. You fight for your family every single day of your life to the day you die. I will fight for my family to the day I die.